All right. On this episode of the podcast, we have Josh Sharp, the president of the IFPA, and he comes on here talking about tournament pinball now that we're having sanctions come back. And we also talk about some things in the past and we kind of talk about some other pinball related things because, of course, it's a pinball podcast. But I had a really fun conversation with him. He's always fun to talk to. So without further ado, Josh Sharp. Well, we're on, Josh. Welcome. You finally made it on after about a year of trying to get you on. My wife let me out of the basement. Yeah, I can tell. It seems that you're not, well, you're not at, what is it, IFPA headquarters. I mean, right? it's kind of like IFPA light headquarters. I mean, I'm like, you, I mean, I offered you a replacement bottom part of your Oklahoma <laughs> trophy. You, would you like a top? We got those here. <laughs> I had a feeling that you might actually bring that up. So even though I didn't have it anywhere, I still brought it right here. There it is. There it is. Just as a reminder. Unbelievable. But I tell you, I love this thing. Amateur hour, man. Like, I'm not going to lie. I I love this thing. Like, everybody's like, Uh, there were some people that contacted me. They're like, uh, they're saying, why are you giving Josh Sharp so much shit? Like, it's an honest mistake. I'm like, I, I forgot I'm like, that I had previously offered to send you a corrected one when I contacted you the second time. Right. But I saw it on one of your shows. I was like, fuck. I, I, <laughs> I swear I sent him, I offered to send him one that, that fixed it because our art guy will run extras every year or whatever, right. just as part of their setup. But I was like, I'll ask him again. Well, the good thing is, is you did send the uh, the fix to it. I just love the original so damn much. I was not yeah. going to fix it. So yeah. technically I'm like the it's, two and a half time state champion now. Cause I got three plaques. So I feel, feel pretty accomplished. By I that. feel I, no more guilt over our amateur hour. No, I wouldn't. That's probably, I don't know. Maybe uh, if pinball keeps getting bigger, I might put that up on eBay. Right. That might be able to afford me some more pinball Next machines. Next time you think maybe. about sanctioning your tournament with IFPA, check out their shoddy <laughs> handiwork here. <laughs> Hey, it happens. It happens. But the thing is, though, IFPA's back, though, right? I mean, we're finally here after what was it been about 16, 18 months? March 17th, man. So, man. yeah, three, yeah, 16, 16 months. Something like that. That's yeah. just way too, yeah, yeah, just way too long. But obviously, I mean, we don't have to get into it. We all know why that was. But the important thing is, is it's back. And you're obviously, you know, we talked about this off podcast. You haven't lost any of your hair, which is perfect. Oh, it's whiter you know, now hey, than it was. But uh, I'm getting closer there I with mean, you. Spending after, more after. time with my daughter the last 16 months. <laughs> Isn't that the thing, though? That's the crazy part about kids, man. You love them so damn much. And then when you have something like this happen, you're around them 24 hours a day. You're like, okay, I brought you into this world. I'm, I'm dealing with it now. We're going to figure it out from here. I feel like you know, 20 years from now, it'll be a good memory of time. Like that year we spent every day together. So oh, yeah. Yeah. At it's some like, point it'll be a positive. Not yet. Not yet. That day well, isn't today, but it makes it to where every day is like a staycation, at least at <laughs> first. And then that staycation lasted right. about a year. <laughs> and it was no longer. Cause it's one of those things. Like, once stop being a novelty after a year, 14, where does the novelty at? Oh, I don't know. Like it scares me every time we go on vacation or we go to one of these pinball trips. I just know that it's going to be great. The first like four days, five <laughs> days, but you know how to go. It goes when you're around the same people, you start to get on each other's nerves. 
your wife has taken, you know, your your clothes that's missing. She's taken the covers. Maybe I'm just complaining about my my wife too much. But yeah, a lot of similarities, just, man. A lot, of, a lot of similarities. Oh yeah. So basically, take that five times whatever it was that we were all at home. So there you go. Without the pinball tournament. So that's right. so at least we're back. That's the important part. And so now, obviously, Adam Becker is the one that is approving all the tournaments. Correct. Yeah. He's busy, so then man. he. Then he's making his pay right now. He's, yeah, he's he's really his zero dollar an hour. He's now amortizing over many more events <laughs> per day. Yeah, it's funny because I always have people contact me, at least locally, that are putting in tournaments, and they're like, "Why is this not coming up immediately? Why is yours getting approved? Mine's not approved yet." And I'm, I tell them, I'm like, "It's just there's one guy in a dungeon uh, yeah. up there in Canada I, that's approving them. Like so it'll take a little bit of time." Some dude sent an email, you know, following up to make sure we got it. And and those are the, I get a lot of those. And, and I wrote him back and explained that, you know, hey, I, cause I can pull open, you know, our back end and see that like, you know, search the director's name and it's like, oh, there it is. It's like, it's in the queue. Don't worry. You're 489th in the queue. And he wrote back. I was like, yeah, man, as soon as I hit send in my email, I was talking with somebody else in my league and they explained to me, I'm so sorry to even have asked, like, you know, blah, 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 blah. And it's like, yeah, man, there's a, uh, a lot of, I mean, I'm at a computer. I forget how many. Well, I don't think people realize how many tournaments actually yeah, exactly. get put on and the actual amount of people that participate in tournaments. It's much higher, I believe, than what people realize. So like even Adam, when was, uh, so Adam was an idiot in 2016 when we were, we had, uh, the Papa World Championships and then the IFPA World Championships back to back in Pittsburgh, which is a nice. memory I'll never forget. It was a yep. great, great week. <laughs> and I think at some point during Papa was done and then we were running IFPA and, and Adam was just bullshitting with me and Zach and was like, Hey man, you know, if you guys ever need any help, cause I was like approving some, like in between IFPA rounds, I was approving submissions because any, any free moment, I was just like approve stuff to get my email countdown and whatever. He's like, I'm happy to help. You know, I kind of have a pretty cushy job that like I can probably get most of it done during the day. And it was like, oh, yeah, man. Yeah. You're hired. So now You're he's, whatever. Back then, 2016, we had 3,500 events that year with total attendance of like 92,000. In 2019, it was 7,600 events with 174,000 of participation. That's that's a so lot. It's like, it's more than doubles. And I, you know, there, I, I'm sure there's moments you got to have Adam on. Maybe he'll be candid with you about how close he's been to shoving it back. <laughs> I can't imagine Whew. he all of a sudden just decides to say F it. And can't he doesn't do tell anymore, anybody. I'm, oh, out. God. I'm out, bro. See ya. It's like, oh, oh my gosh. Oh, God. So, oh. so anybody out there that is considering running tournaments, keep that in mind. It's it. There is a considerable queue. And it, especially right now, I'm sure everybody's rushing to put up tournaments now. And so I'm sure there's always going to be a slight backlog that occurs naturally. And I mean, it'll all get done. I mean, there's not going to be any instance where somebody puts one out and it just gets overlooked. Um, like they'll, they'll right now, like fortunately he, Adam hasn't had to deal with any results approvals. So it's all been calendar submissions, but like those calendar submissions shift and we have 1,571 tournaments waiting on results right now. So at some point it's like the, the cadence of people submitting new events doesn't stop, but then this avalanche of like results come through and that's where like, you know, 
Adam will tell me not to talk to him. <laughs> that's where it just gets crazy. Well, that's what I wonder. Is there people back from March still waiting to put in results? I mean, is that even yeah, worth the, people putting in results? The most, the thing, the things that people like leagues, especially, right? Because right. uh, tournaments are just, they happen or they don't happen. Right. Leagues are seasons that last whatever, some amount of time. So a bunch of leagues decided to like, hey, we were through three out of seven sessions. Can we just submit our results from three sessions that through March of 2020? Yeah. Through, and it was like, sure. Yeah. I'll change your end date to when was the last date of your last session you were able to play? Go in, edit their tournament date, then they can submit. But there's been a bunch that are, are like, we're picking up, you know, we have session four, August 7th. And it's like, okay, well, what's your new end date? And it's like, it's November 11th. And it's like, okay, so update their event. And now it's back to like an in-progress league. Really? Well, I didn't even consider that. I just figured some people would just go ahead and just say, okay. And others dump, like our league just dumped the season. Our yeah. 2020 season will just, yeah. I think we were two sessions in because we started in January and we did not do March. And it was like, we were talking about picking it up now but our, our season's normally January to July. And it's like, now we're starting in August and, and we, we end to avoid all the holidays at the tail end of the year. And it's like, we're just punting. And, right, right. And it's like, that never happened. Yeah, I think that's basically all anybody can really do right now. But hey, just like we're talking about, it's great that tournament pinball is coming back. But of course, I'd be re remiss not to mention that obviously it was just less than a week ago now we found out that the Museum of Pinball is no more, which obviously that's where a major tournament's at with the Open that's ran by Carl D'Angelo and Bob Matthews and Jim Belsito and yep. lots of other people all around there. So seeing kind of what's happening there and then also with what's happened with Pinburg and then, of course, Papa, it, you're seeing these large tournaments that are either folding or Indisc, obviously, or the Open hasn't folded. They're still looking around, so it's still good to go. But obviously, there's a little bit of a upheaval and a little bit of changing of the landscape. I mean, what are your thoughts on that moving forward in terms of tournament pinball coming back and making sure that there's still enough big tournaments around to be considered majors moving forward? I think there's a difference between a big tournament, you know, participation-wise, and I guess a prestigious tournament. Right. Like the the whatever the the closed world championship we run is sixty four players. There's many events around the world that are more than sixty four players, but the what it means to qualify for ours means something in the world. And I think, like I have played before Papa came back in '04, the team you know Kevin and his team were running the old. It's confusing. They were running Pinburg, which is what they called their version of Papa from 99 to 03 before they, they took over the name. Like we were playing in a hotel conference room yep. that was like, you know, probably smaller than, than your setup over there. It was like 20 games down one wall and that was it. But the importance of that event and the high caliber players that showed up, like that was the shit, man. Like, like that yep. was the tournament to win. So I think, you know, Carl and, and Jim and Bob, like they'll figure out a solution. And I mean, we have held IFPA in some weird ass places. We held it on like a working farm in London that you literally could go like play with livestock in between I mean, rounds. If you want, I've heard of, I've heard about that. What tournament was that? Cause I've that heard was, this mentioned. That was IFPA six. In really? 
So this is a world championship event. That is uh that is badass. Pinball has come a long ways, although yeah. now it's kind of circled back to where you almost have to go back to that for the nostalgia, right? Yeah, I mean, I think in terms of competitive pinball, if if you get a group of the best players in the world and put them anywhere with a game in it, it's on. Yep. So, you, you know, was the Pinberg stage nice? Like, hell, of course it was nice. It was unbelievable. You know, it's going to be really hard to replicate that because of the resources you need to do that. But, of course, yeah. you know, I've joked when, uh, with the, I've joked with the Papa guys a bunch, like, hey, man, you just let me know what the dates are and I'll reserve at the best Western down the street where you guys used to hold this much smaller event. Like, let's take it back to basics, man. I'll be there. Raise the entry fee. Let's get it. Let's get saucy. Let's go. Yeah. yeah. And I mean, I think you actually, so what you just said right there, it's pretty interesting because I've had this conversation with a few other players that are world-class, much better than myself that have actually won Tenberg events or other events. And one of the things about it that we've been talking back and forth about is we were wondering if there's potential out there for higher caliber tournaments in terms of either payouts, which would eventually mean that your entry fee has to be much higher than what we're used to. And I remember there was actually a conversation about this, I believe over on Tilt Forums, it was probably well over a year ago now, to where people were trying to figure out what would the value be to get somebody to travel for. And so, I mean, what are your thoughts on potentially seeing tournaments out there that could be $250 entry fee or even $500 entry fee? I mean, our world championship's 250. And right. I, I think when you, when you take into consideration all the travel costs associated with going, I mean, I told the Papa crew, like I'd pay $1,000 for Pinburg because it would be the cheapest part of my trip, you, you know, nope. between Absolutely. airfare and Ubering and hotel and whatever. Like, I, I'm less concerned about that. I think the local people are the people that are usually the vocal, like, what the fuck? Like, that's so much <laughs> yeah. money. And it's like, yeah, because you're yep. sleeping in your house and you're like going home for meals. So it's, so it's like, it literally feels like $500 out of your pocket. Yep. And for me, it's like, and for most other people, it's a vacation. So it's, it's a vacation where, you know, I can have a good weekend and pay for it through my play, which is, you know, most other vacations. When I go to Disney, I have no opportunity to pay for that trip. Right. Other right. Than, There's no other than going on the credit card over and over again. <laughs> yeah. yeah. But I think the, uh, you know, the high stakes, big prize pools, you know, the problem there is you need a bunch of people that aren't going to win to support that prize pool, right? right? So at some point, like running the Power 100, you know, that I do, that it's only, it's a hundred bucks and you are, the entry fee worked in a way where you could, you could pay as much as 500 if you wanted to side pot bet up to 500 bucks. And it's like, well, fuck man, I don't want to do that because it's like, there's Ellen and there's Raymond. And it's like, yeah. yeah, man, that, you know, it's not about like, man, if I just set up an event with a thousand dollars ahead, it'd be huge. And it's like, would it? Because you got to be willing to lose it in yeah. order to to do it. And the number of players, like I'd be in, but the number of players that I think would be into it, you just, as you raise the entry fee, you get a smaller and smaller group. That's like, yeah, I'm probably going to lose. And yeah. I don't really want to lose that much money. Yeah. One of the formats that I think would go over really well would be almost like a heads up format to where maybe you just have 16 people show up or 24 people, whatever you want to have. But if it's just heads up, whether it's five games, seven, or even go all the way up to nine, but I feel like something like that 
could potentially be a pretty big event with a larger fee. Cause I kind of think of it almost like world series of poker yeah. type, you know, to where you have different, different events and everything. So I almost feel like I always thought that some of these large stern pro circuit events would do well if they would hold something like that the day before where it's just like, maybe it's an invite only for the players that are ranked a certain amount, or maybe it's just, open season but like again who's in. like who's subsidizing it right if it's coming out of the players exactly. pockets i mean at exactly. some point you're probably you probably have some world class i mean people were coming to expo and avoiding my house for the power 100 because it was like yeah man i mean like that that sounds fun and all but i like i don't want to just throw out 100 bucks <laughs> and, and, <laughs> because and their crazy. confidence level against you know like, other people I, is just yeah bad. and see that's like for me personally because i come from a baseball background so the reason why i like to play pinball is it is fun but it's competitive too like i love the competitive element for me that makes it even more fun because you can only you can only go so far playing by yourself on a pin and then trying for a high score. Eventually you want to test yourself against other players that are either just as good or quite frankly, better than you. Like I want to be the worst one in the room and see, you know, yeah. how much better I can get. That's how That's... I grew up, man. I, man, after I stopped playing in juniors events in 95, like I didn't win anything kind of important for like year, like until, Oh, I think I won pinball at the zoo in Oh one. It was like, those six years of just getting my ass just pounded by Lyman yep. and Elwin and all those guys. And and it's like, you know, they would look at the bracket. It's like, oh, nice. I got a sharp brother. Time to like, just kill him. Oh yeah. I, I It's so funny story. I kind of getting off the beat and I'll bring us back around. I, uh, and of course I, I was giving you shit before down in Florida about the uh, power 100 and all that. Cause I went in on that and I just <laughs> tanked myself. And so luckily now it, it took a pandemic, but now I have 18 months that just kind of wiped away from there. But yeah, cause I would love to play in that tournament and just have a chance. But funny story back with Florida, I, it was during, I think it was during finals. I won't name the name, but we were playing and there was another game going on and somebody had made a comeback, right? Well, this player that was watching it, it would directly affect whose group they were in and not in. And so what it did, it pulled that player. They were visibly mad and I could hear them cussing and they're right next to me. And I realized right off the bat, they were mad because they weren't coming into my group. <laughs> next uh, round. Uh, the dead money group. Yeah, exactly. Give me the dead money, man. Exactly. So I was like, huh? Yeah. I was like, I, I got some work to do, you know, because obviously we all want to be that type of player. That's like, okay, you know, we're the shit. Everybody's going to avoid us. Yeah. But I realize I, I can self admit. I realize I still have a ways to go to catch up to people. <laughs> I mean, yeah, it's, it's great being a local, local champion, whatever you want to say, but I thoroughly enjoy going out to these national level events and playing against competition like that, because I feel like you're always learning something like even something that you take as an absolute, like, this is how you play this game because I've seen a tutorial on YouTube or I've yeah. watched other people play it. And then you see one of these young kids come around and they do something totally different on a rule set that's existed for years now. And you just, you kind of see something different. You're like, huh? Okay. That's the way I do it. So I think that's the most exciting part about tournaments coming back. I think a lot of us have been able to sit back and just either play a lot or be able to watch a lot of video, consume a lot of content and kind of see, you know, what's going on from there. For me, the rush has always been like, and I play a lot of golf. It's like just the the competitiveness of needing to perform at a very specific time, like the anxiety that comes with that the, and, and the adrenaline management that comes with that. Like 
that's my jam, man. Like, I love, I, I, that's the biggest part of what I miss over the last year and a half. Like, like I turned all my extra balls on at home and did some Carl wizard mode chasing. And, and over, over the last year, like Zach and I both got through what we needed to in our games and that was fun. And it was yep. a unique challenge for the time, but like, I'd way rather have Zach come over and let's just play a best of five. And like, I don't need a billion on walking dead. I need 35 million, but I need it right now on this last ball and I'm under 2 million. What do you do? Like yep. go. Yeah. The situation, that situational play, man, is what it's all about. Yeah. And you actually had one of the most unique situational play situations that happened. And this happened at the Louisville arcade expo in 2014. Oh, is this the on slide? On a, yeah, on a little game called Congo. Yeah. And you had one of the most craziest slide saves. That, well, it's not one of the most... Debounce management, man. Oh my gosh. So for those that are that have no idea what I'm talking about, just look up on, I think it's on pinballvideos.com. And you can find Josh Sharp. It's under Congo for 2014. And it was... I, I will just go ahead and say it's the most incredible save in pinball I've seen. I know some people see... I think it was Bowen's save on Adam's Family up at Papa, but this, but this is just insane. You took the damn pen, clear out a camera view nearly, held on to the ball. I put it back. Yeah, yeah, then you adjusted the camera. I mean. That was important for the kids, man. The yeah, kids. <laughs> so what was the adrenaline spike there where you're just, I mean, cause it's an important game. You're saving the ball and you do something like that <clears> and you survive it. I mean, I don't know if you like, subtle movement. I mean, it's, 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 it's just debounce work, right? Yep. Like the tilt, the tilt bob will only register, it'll register a warning whether you barely touch the ring or it fucking, you know, bashes around in there <laughs> yeah. for some length of time. So if you're going to use, I think, I don't know if, if what podcast Colin McAlpine was talking about it, where, you know, through nudging, you can add balls in play. And especially yep. in, in competitive pinball where there's no extras, it's like, if you turn a three ball game into a four ball game, like that's insane you know think think about like i don't know you're like you're playing a baseball game and it's like hey uh home team you guys get 12 innings today yeah 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 we do <laughs> this is the jam like so you know being able on those williams games are great you know dr you can do it on a lot of williams games depending on the programmer but like the debounce there gives a lot of room for it to go one warning let me make sure that's clear before i give the second warning let me make sure that is clear before I give, you know, the tilt that, that you can be aggressive at no warnings and ultimately be in a situation where like, if I tilt, it's fine. Like it's, it's cause you're evaluating like how much bonus would I have lost? I, I, like, I think it was pretty early on in the ball that like, I would, you know, 10 million in bonus. It's like, if I had, you know, 350 million waiting for me in bonus, you know, at that point I'm playing with fingertips and you're not going to see me slide anything anywhere. Right. So you're kind of managing that situation. Then what do you think then? Cause there definitely in this past year, there's actually been a lot more people entering pinball in terms of they're, they're looking at playing in tournaments. They've gotten into the hobby. They're buying a lot more. What would you say for aspiring players that they're, I think the, a lot of people think it's, you have to have just an encyclopedic type knowledge of the rules. When I believe that in competition, you really don't need to know that. You just yeah. need to know the basics. You need to know you need to know what to do with the basics. I like your your three M approach, man. It's pretty good. I yeah, wouldn't, just, I wouldn't I wouldn't put it on a t shirt, but I'd talk about it. Hey, we need to put it on a t shirt. That's a great idea now. <laughs> but but like, wouldn't you 
like, I, like that's how I feel. Like I haven't played anything new. Like if I had, I I got an Avengers, so I know how to play that now. But if I had to go play a Zeppelin or Turtles, like, and this is, I mean, growing up in the '90s, the big tournaments would always be the latest game that just came out. You would be learning what to do in the qualifying line, talking right. to other players. It's like, hey yep. man, what'd you learn? And it's like, I you know, I learned if you do this and then do this, it'll stack. And it's like, oh my god, really? Okay, I'll start doing that. It, it, like that was part of the fun and enjoyment. Like I usually. Zach, it was a it was a fun weekend when by the end Zach and I would be like, all right, I know how to play that game now for future tournaments because yeah. I just spent this weekend learning, you know yeah. what to do. Yeah, so and it, it's it's a it's a few things, man, and mostly it's about where where are their where are their pain points for game exploitation, right? Yep, yep, that's a big part of it, and also too, I tell a lot of people that, and that's why I was glad that you mentioned Colin because I even told him after I heard that I was like, dude, this is like something that a lot of people need to know because I feel like people, they underestimate the value of actually nudging yeah. and moving a pin. It's intimidating. Like they, it's intimidating. Yeah. yeah. And I, I just feel like that right there. I, I know you hear a lot of people talk about the first skill you need, you need to develop is don't flip, you know, learn to control this and that. But I feel like nudging, if you can get somebody that's an aspiring player that wants to play competitive, I feel like that's the number one skill right there that will help you. If you can get your recovery skills down and you can do that, I feel like you can go a lot further Especially than with any other skill early not on. If you're not accurate like me, you need recovery skills or else you're <laughs> Yeah, exactly, exactly. But hey, if you never miss, you don't have to worry about it, right? I wish it was that easy for me, man. Who is the most accurate player that you've seen before? Like I've heard people, I, I could have swore Dan, I heard- Danielle, probably. Yeah. Yeah, that's what I was thinking. I thought I heard Robert Gagno say that he thought Yorian, because I was watching a documentary just the other day, yeah. but I've never seen Yorian play in person. I've wow. just seen the videos. Yeah. He's I was going to say, where's, where's he been? Like, I thought he was supposed to him be Him like, and I have joked, he had some kids and his wife is a lot like my wife. Doesn't let him out a whole bunch anymore. Oh, gosh. Yep. No wonder. That'll do it. See, it, I guess I got lucky. As soon as I start having kids, my wife was begging me, like, we got to get out of here. We got to go to different places and see things. That is not my life, brother. <laughs> so then, you know, kind of touching base and leaning into this, uh, just competitive a little bit more. What are your thoughts exactly on where competitive pinball is going to, is going to go? Like say five years from now, 10 years from now, now that we've kind of talked about some of the majors that are, coming and going and obviously lots of people are wanting to play competitive pinball now but what are your thoughts on the overall growth of that moving forward i think i was just running some stats for uh chicago gaming had some questions for me about like the ifpa's player base and age and i ended up sending it to zach on the stern side because it was kind of interesting but like it's not it's not great it's not great like you see they had me run some stats of like what was the player base 10 years ago? What was the player base age demo five years ago? What is it today? And there is very clearly a line of people that found pinball in that 90s boom, which I was a part of. I was a teenager during that time, but you can probably stretch down to, I'm 41 now, but so people were probably as young as, you know, mid, if you're in the mid thirties, you probably had some experience of that nineties arcade boom before that disappeared. And you can see like 10 years ago, that age group was 25 to 35. And then now it's 35 to 40. Like 
the the demographic that is into competitive pinball is moving with age. Right. And I have I was a little disappointed. I was telling Zach because you know we've done a lot of work with Stern on the Stern Army campaign mm-hmm. and trying to get yep. you know these barcades like pub, getting events in these barcades to try to lure new people. And I would have expected that we have a one of our age brackets was eighteen to twenty nine, and it was just way lower than I thought. Like what? Like like depressingly lower than I thought. Like really? I really like like I'm like this is what the Stern Army campaign's all about, man. We've been doing this for like five years, so and then you you know filter out the numbers and it's like fuck. Like where are all the eighteen to twenty nine year olds? Where yeah, are you? Yeah, it's it's one of those things that I have a working theory that. I feel like if some of these manufacturers would actually reach out to college campuses in terms of their student union and look at donating a pinball machine to large campuses that are around places that already have a larger player base, like a Chicago or like somewhere out in California. The big like, problem there is who's going to maintain the game, Travis? Well, that's the key. That That's the other part I was going to say. Like the logistics of everything is no, just... Don't work, man. No, no, it's incredibly tough. And that's the thing. That's, that's why I've talked to several people about that. And that's the difference that a lot of people wonder how esports has boomed, but pinball hasn't kind of gone on that trajectory. And what I tell everybody is, well, esports is much easier to get into to be able to get a PlayStation, a PC or an Xbox in your room is a lot easier than this. It's not easy to get this regardless. I mean, for us that are already in pinball, we may think it's easy because we're used to it. But then we all remember the very first pinball machine we got. It's, I mean, it's not the barrier of entry into pinball. And and don't get not. me wrong, like I was slightly disappointed at just that age demo. But mm-hmm. like the, you know, the number of players by year, like like we're adding new. Like when five years ago, let's say 2014, we had 13,000 unique players that played right. in at least one sanctioned event. 2019 was 24,000 unique players. 2020 for the first three months, 11,000 unique players. So like it's growing. It's just, it's just, I think it's still, we're still reaching people that had a familiarity with pinball at some previous point in their lives. We're not finding as many people like, what is this big piece of wood? What do these buttons do? It's like, you're, you're bringing people that are like, Oh man, I remember that. You know, I I think I played like high speed in college or whatever, whatever, some version of that. And it's like, you can play. I mean, there's so many people that I know that were like, I knew a pinball and I didn't know there were like tournaments and leagues and stuff that like yep. you're just providing a different way for someone to enjoy a game they were already familiar with. And that's fine. Like, you know, yeah. I'm happy to to grow the player base that way with a group of people that are familiar. I think, you know, the the bigger growth would be, you know, sort of leaning on your esports angle is is people like Zen Studios and like Farsight putting in a push for people to do. It's a lot easier to get, hey, Keith Owen, what do you think of video pinball? Like, I think it's a piece of shit. Yep. Uh, Zen's giving out a million dollars to the person that wins this video pinball tournament. Where's my iPad? Where's my, let's go, let's go. I can play, like, what's it on? It's on on their recreation of ACDC. Okay, let's go, like, I know the game rules. Like, I will learn how to play this device and make it work. Like, I feel like that, because I know plenty of people that have gotten into competitive pinball through like playing the far side pinball arcade and and then realize like I, I realized like I was playing Funhouse and I Googled Funhouse and it was a real game. Like they didn't just <laughs> yeah. make this up. It's like a real thing. 
and then you know you do your little deep dive and and then i meet someone who like you know a year ago i thought fun house was made by farsight and here they are a year later and they they travel down the rabbit hole man yeah yeah and then you you come out of that and all of a sudden you see there's several hundred different and, types of pinball and our machines reten- out the there. player retention is great like once you once you fall in love with pinball and pinball as a sport you very rarely fall out of it i mean yeah. the number of people that i know from the early 90s that i met when i started playing most of them are still out there man yeah and that's that's the key part and i know there there's of course a lot of people out there that I say a lot. There's some people out there that believe that pinball might within 10, 15, 20 years for whatever reason might go by the wayside. But to me, no way. Yeah. I, I was just like, you know, I've got four kids and they're all involved in pinball. You've got kids. I'm sure they play a little bit. And just because they don't participate in tournaments or do anything like that, they're still playing. I mean, it's both of my sons, they play sometimes, but they both have said, we want pinball machines in the future in our house. Like, so I feel like there's still a lot of people that are playing pinball and there's a huge group of people out there that play pinball that don't participate in tournaments at all. I think yeah. a lot of people would be shocked how many people there are. I mean, probably at least 75 to 80% of the correspondence I get just from the YouTube channel, from the podcast are people that don't even play in tournaments. They've never played in one. They just collect and at least half of them are brand new. Just as of 2020. And I think you weren't around in the, in the early aughts when, you know, the nineties tournament seed was heavily like it was all new games because it was all manufacturer supported. And there were five, six manufacturers. Like when the two thousands hit and everyone went out of business and Gary was putting out, you know, two or three new games a year. It was like all these tournaments that we played at was always the latest and greatest machines. There was no thought about like, playing a paragon in a tournament it just didn't exist like like right. classic type events and using old games really wasn't a thing so i've always believed and i know my dad has always believed that like even if new pinball didn't exist pinball would still live on just with yep. the back catalog of equipment that's been made there's some period post new games where where you know well a hundred years if there was no new games would stuff die out like yeah sure you take everything everything's gonna die that's like the inevitable end of everything Right. Like we proved in the, in the 2000s that like, you know, leaning on collectors at shows and, and deciding that it didn't have to be just the latest and greatest games in a tournament environment. And it opened up a whole new world to be able to compete on, on stuff. It's like you competed on like a monopoly when that came out. And then like the following year, it's like, you never played monopoly in tournament again because roller coaster tycoon was out and that was the game to play. And, you know, I much prefer this version of of competitive pinball where kind of all games are up for grabs yeah that's for me that's the most fun part is even if you have a classics tournament or a modern i love the tournaments that mixes everything to where you have skill sets man it's awesome to uh that was part of our world championship design in 2006 was the the and, and the europeans tended to be people that if a game was made before high speed you shouldn't even call it pinball. It's something else. Like, I don't know what the word is, but it's not pinball. It's, yeah. it's something. And, you know, we're, we're big believers in like, you know, instead of complaining that it's not pinball, maybe you should, I don't know, accumulate the skills that are required for those kind of games because they're really different. Yeah. You know, learning to tap pass isn't something you need to worry about if you're playing high speed and newer. It's a nice skill to have in the toolbox if you're playing, you know, some older stuff. Yeah, absolutely. And that's the funniest part about it is, is that 
I'm sure there's a lot of people out there that view classics. You you hear it all the time about EMs being luck boxes and you know, facing facts, there are some EMs out there that are that do qualify under that. At least I would say they would. The two and a half inch flippers would just maybe some scoops out there or some saucers out there to where you might hit one, you might not. I'll tell you, you might... what, if you want to go up against Elwin a hundred times, I'll put my money that somehow in this luck box, he'll beat you 51 times. Yeah, that's what I was going to say. But the reality is, is that when you get exceptional players on these pins, they will figure it out. There's a, there's a that's reason it, why you see those that's names. It. That's the key. Yeah, he's, it's funny. Keith is a, uh, he's a unique character for sure like it it cracks me up every time i talk to him you know i might get a couple of word answers out of him (laughs) you know but i can tell his mind is always Uh, when you ask him a pinball question though i can tell immediately it's like he just clicks over and i mean it's like it's it's like talking to the terminator with pinball he just he just knows and that's why to me i i was just telling him the other day that we are so damn lucky to have somebody like him in pinball that is designing the pins that yeah, he has man. coming out. I mean, can you imagine a situation in which we don't get Elwin pins or a situation to where even Stern isn't around it the way that they are? I mean, it's just like you were talking about with all the newest games that were coming out at the clip that they were back in the nineties. I, I think a lot of people don't realize that that was the case back then yeah. compared to what it could be like it was in the early two thousands, you know? So me it's just uh, i'm glad to see where pinball is going it's in terms of yeah i i think it is for sure now a big part of me i kind of want to see some i want to see somebody take a chance and do something more of the classical nature in terms of maybe more like the way a solid state would look but unfortunately i don't know if manufacturing capabilities would even allow that if economies of scale would even allow that nowadays it's a I mean, you know, whether it's it's comments like that or or comments on theme, right? That's the other big thing that gets talked about is yeah. you know, the dad rock and what it like like why why are these companies not trying things? And it's like it it's expensive to try things. You yes. know, we've tried <laughs> things at Raw Thrills that we've thrown in the garbage and it's like you know, it'd be nice is, I don't know, having that two million dollars back in our bank account <laughs> rather than having tried this. So it's like, what are we doing now? We're going to make our next driving game because that's what we do well. And and it's yeah. like at some point, you know, you just need to evaluate where, and all these businesses do, like where they are in their business that they can take a chance. And it's hard, man, because taking a chance and it not paying out, it there's a long period of time to have to recover from that before yeah. you get back on the highway. And you're it's like, all right, we're back on the highway. We're back doing 75 and everything's great. But like, yeah, man, we like we filled the ditch back there and got a tow out yeah. and replaced two tires and you know it's all that costs real money and there's always someone at the top that's paying the bills, man. Yeah, and that's actually what one of my business men- mentors told me a long time ago that you have to earn the chance to take a chance. Like you have to earn that because it's it's almost one of those weird things to where early on you will take chances if you're at the very beginning because you have to build that nut up. You have to get something going. You have to get that snowball going downhill. But then eventually, if what you know is working and what you know is consistent, then it almost becomes difficult to get away from what's consistent to go into the unknown. And like you said, you could crash and burn going into the unknown. And then you're left with, well, what was the point of doing that when I could have been consistent with X, Y, Z. So yeah. And, And paying attention, you know, if you're talking to 
500 people about pinball, it's important to recognize like there's, there's the age demographic of those who play and there's the age demographic of those who buy. And yep. for everyone, you know, you read on Pinside and it's like, fuck man, I'm not buying that thing. And it's like nine times out of 10, they weren't buying it anyway. So right. it doesn't like, it, it doesn't stop them from complaining that like somehow Stern did X with this or JJP did Y with this. And now it's like, and now for that reason, I'm out. It's like, okay, Shark Tank guy, you were out. <laughs> anyway. Like you weren't, you weren't trying to find a reason to be in. You were yeah, just yeah. vocalizing some particular reason why you were out. So, you know, I think all the manufacturers are, are doing what they can to sell games. And I think if you see someone like where I think, it's exciting in like the hobby part of the industry is you see someone like Scott, you know, build TNA from nothing. And it's like, and see, you know, whether it's like Ryan McQuaid with Sonic, like the, what hobbyists are able to do now is like, it's insane, man. They yep. like, they can build up something that's like genuinely like a real thing. <laughs> and, yep. and if there's a way to harness that energy and make something that, you know, you could kind of, test with the world would there be interest and get enough pre-sales to make it worth someone's time i think that's how you can sneak in some of this change and you see something like a tna come out and it's like will there be a company that makes a tna like game you know single level game maybe maybe yeah they could yeah Yeah, it's well it's funny the way that i buy pinball machines is probably much different than the normal person. It's like, I have my, my themes that I love. Obviously I love Avengers, love Walking Dead, but I've purchased other pinball machines before just because for me, pinball's fun. If the layout looks fun or if the rule set looks fun, I wanna play it regardless of the theme. Like I just want a chance to flip it. And then obviously if I can move it, if I can sell it, that's fine with me. But I got a feeling, I could have swore I've heard you say on another podcast before that theme really doesn't play too much into your own buying decisions. I'm not a big, I mean, I have, what do I have? Like I have a Dracula and don't really, I mean, that movie's fine. I have, I don't like Iron Maiden, the band. I don't yeah. like Metallica, the band. I learned to, I didn't like ACDC, but now I really do from the game. I, you know, I've learned to appreciate their music, but like, yeah, man, for me, it's like, did Ellen make it? Is Lyman on it? Like those two guys, it's like, yep. they kind of know how to make stuff that is fun for me. So regardless of the thing, you know, what, so when Alan makes golden girls, man, I'm in. Yeah. (laughs) And that's one of the funniest parts with the way that how good Elwin is at doing what he does. It's almost as if Stern doesn't have to necessarily worry too much about the theme that he's on in terms of getting whatever cells that they want to get out there. Now, obviously if you're putting pins on location, not too many people are going to know who the designer or who the rule set person is. Right. They just, they just see the I, theme. I would That's dare say there's say. a business argument to that of like, you give him the worst, like he's kind of shit out of luck, man. Yep. Sorry, <laughs> dude, you're the brand. So therefore you get all of these shit licenses because that, we need the, the games that are objectively worse to have better themes so we can move product. Yep. That's the debate we were having. And I almost, I, actually agree with that and i know if he listens back to this he's gonna be like oh no like if that like sorry, there's man. no way sorry but, keith you're getting shit yeah. forever don't ever <laughs> work for me i won't give you any licenses that you want i'm gonna give you <laughs> i feel like he's one of those he's one of the few people in pinball that could do something unlicensed and it would still compete pound for pound with sales with 
most of the titles that are out today. Yeah, that's a stretch, like, Travis. Like, I, I think it could. I, I think it could. I think the, you, okay. get the, you get the Owen fanboys and fangirls, no problem, but, like, there's still... Do you think there'd be a do you think there'd be a thousand Elwin fanboys out there that would pay fifteen thousand dollars for a super LE Elwin pin? No. You think there'd be two thousand then? No. no see, I'm just gonna go higher. No. <laughs> you never know. I see. I used to think that there wouldn't be that many people out there for that, but then when I see pinball prices going where they're going, it's make me wonder: is just just the same small pond that are increasing these prices yes. or is it new people that just don't know it's, any better? Like, no. is there just a bunch of rich people out there just spending money? Like it doesn't yes. mean anything. It's a little it, bit of everything, it, isn't it? Yeah, man. It's there. There is a particular collector group that is hitting an age in their life with disposable income, you know, call it mid forties to mid fifties right now that, you know, have, more often than not, that demographic is geekier in nature. If you're a games person, that you probably don't have a strong like drug or alcohol problem or something, or other vices that are using that disposable income. That if if you're smart and have a decent job and have some money to spend, it's not that expensive of a toy for someone who it's like that's their only vice, right? Like right. it's like. It's like, what's your car? I drive a Corolla. It's like, well, dude, you have like 200 grand worth of games in your basement. It's like, yeah, no, I know. It's like, what's your house worth? About 175. <laughs> <laughs> so you're telling me your, your games are worth more than your house. Yeah, no, that's right. See, it's, it's hilarious you're saying that because I know several of those people around. It's, it's almost, it's, it's surreal when you go into a house and I've done this before to where I've gone places with with friends because they're like, oh, so-and-so has just this badass, you know, collection. And we're going to a place and I'm like, are we going to get robbed getting out of our car? Where are we? Then all of a sudden there's $200,000 worth of pinball machines just sitting there. I mean, that's what amazes me about Tom Graff's place. Now he doesn't live in the ghetto or anything like that. Man. He lives in a nice place. He's going to listen. But... You better prepare for your next triple drain, man. Oh yeah. No, he... for you. Oh gosh. Yeah. T Tom is a superstar on there. Right. <laughs> Let me tell you. But yeah, he has one of the most amazing collections that I've ever seen just because it's like L.E., L.E., and then he has all the badass old school games like Creature, Adam's Family, Frontier. I mean, so stuff and like the that. The guys who do it right, and I'm pretty terrible at this, although I did just sell like six games during the pandemic, is, is if you're able to turn it over, like, I mean, I was selling games that I had bought in like the 2000s for whatever, pennies on the dollar now. Right. That like, you know, I, I bought a fishtails from an operator that was beat to shit for 500 bucks and like sold it for three grand. Like if you're turning that over, like I have a pretty nice collection that I kind of don't have any real money into because yep. I've sold 60 games over the last whatever, however many years. And it's like, it's the little, the little profit wins where you sell, you know, five games and you just afforded, you know, your walking dead is now free, you know, based yep. off of turning those other five games over. So yeah, that, I, that would be nice. I mean, unfortunately when I got into pinball, there was yeah, no, you're too uh, late, man. yeah, there's no the, back in the day, man, the Craigslist huntings, woo, there was some good stuff out there. Oh, I saw somebody post, uh, on Facebook. It was a page from an amusement coin book or something oh, like yeah. that. Yeah, did you see that to yeah, where yeah. it was, there was some game on there. I think it was like T3 
was worth more than a, or was priced higher than a Circus Voltaire or than like a Lord of the Rings. I remember in college, the Williams was closing out No Good Gophers and Circus Voltaire. And I had one of my buddies down there was like looking for a game for his apartment. And like Twilight Zone was his favorite. So he had talked with a local operator there about, and, and they had a Twilight in stock. And it was like 1200 bucks. And it was like, dude, you're crazy. Cause I, my dad called and was like, Hey, do you, do you or Zach or anyone, I can get circuses and gophers 800 bucks new in the box. Do you want one? And I'm like, no, like, well, no, what do I do with those things? Like yeah. no, 800 bucks. <laughs> like, no, what do you pay dad? What do you get? You pay like a hundred dollars. You have to pay like a <laughs> delivery fee. They're free. 800 bucks is terrible. And, uh, but I asked my friend, it's like, hey, Gophers was whatever, a Pat Lawler game. And it's like, hey, man, do you want a new, his new game? At the time, it was his new game. Do you want right. his new game for 800 bucks? Like, my dad can just get it for you. And it's like, no, nah, you know, I'll take this busted ass Routed Twilight for 1200 instead. And it's like, man, good luck to you, bro. And it's like, I, he probably still has it. But it's like, you know, back then, the pricing, what pricing is now is, is insane. Yeah. And it's funny. It's kind of hard unless you know somebody that was around that era. It's kind of hard just to, to describe it. Cause just like what you described there, I'm sure I I've heard it from several other people to where they're finding stuff at garage sales back then for less than 500 Zach's, or Zach's first game was a cybernaut for 50 bucks in 2000, whatever. And it was oh, like, gosh, not working. It was, and it was a fuse. It was like one fuse and it powered up and he had his first game for 50 bucks. See, we've only ran into that one time ever. I have a, I have a big hit. I think it's Gottlieb downstairs that my wife picked up for a hundred dollars. And the guy was like, yeah, it doesn't work. And it's not doing anything. And it was literally just one fuse and it was Good Apple Deluxe was like that too. I've had a couple where it was like, it was just a fuse. <laughs> I don't know if we can it's get It's always those just anymore. a fuse, but, but uh, sometimes it actually is. Sometimes it is. Other times when you go visit somebody to where you see the pictures and then you show up and it looks nothing like the pictures. Yeah. It's like you, you're getting oh, catfish, yeah. but with pinball. Yeah, that's, that's so glorious. All right. Well, I got a couple of more questions real quick. Oh, I know I told it. you well, yeah, before, like the, I wasn't, I wasn't going to do stuff. interview, right. but I had to get these out because I need, I need to know, I need to know. So I, I think you mentioned before, if uh, the world championships are going to be next May, correct? Sounds right. That's so right. we're getting, we're just getting our timeline back here. Cause I know a lot delay. of people want to so know. My t-shirt that I received just as the pandemic hit, it, it'll be pretty close to only having one number that's incorrect on it the 2020 it'll be 2022 well there you go hey that'll be a collector's edition that's, right. that's all that matters right so okay so then if if 17 is going to be in may that means if the 18 would be the following may right we're yeah we're the correct. following we're right we usually our kind of golden rule has always been to try to team it up with an event wherever wherever if is being held can we make it a weekend after some other big event in wherever we're going. And so we haven't talked about that with, I mean, we haven't talked to the German group in a while, but they ran if pretend for us, it's the same group. So I always try to lobby for making EPC the weekend before IFPA. So I will probably be lobbying pretty hard to my country director friends of like, why don't you guys have Germany host the EPC in uh, 2023? 
because I'd love to go. We did that in London. We did EPC and IFPA back-to-back weekends, and a bunch of Americans got to play in an EPC, see London, and then play in IFPA and head home. See, that would be pretty cool. Yeah. And so then I would assume, so qualifying for that then would run through, what would it be, like December 31st of- uh, 22. 20, of 22, okay. Just making sure. And that's like, I'm asking for me, because I want to- There's a lot of people I, asking for you, try. man. I know. There's, this yeah. is why I have to get my District 82 on, because I'm not running shit if I'm not playing in it. You think I'm going to go fly <laughs> to Germany to sit in a chair? All weekend, you're out of your mind. I, I think you'll be good. You're you're ranked what, like 44th right now, and that's um, yeah. you're usually top 30, aren't you? Pretty consistent. There's kind of a level. I mean, pre pre kids, there was a level. Then there was kind of a post kids plateauing, and uh, yeah, it'd be nice. I mean, I can remember when I dropped off the front page, and that was a sad day. And it'd be nice to chase back up there a little bit. I think you'll get back up there before Teolos gets up there the first oh, time. Oh, well, that's for sure, man. Yeah, I mean, you'll, you'll be good. You'll be, you'll be fine. So then, so then we got IFPA out of the way. When do you expect SPC tournaments to start back up? Just next year, 2022? Just starting in January? 2022 qualifying. And then those first, that the next Oklahoma state championship will be January of 23. Okay. So this is all making sense. And then the SPC... I believe it would have been the 2020 circuit championship. What does that move to now? So we haven't played the 2019 final yet. Or yeah, the 2019. That into, yeah, final, yeah. those 20 people are done. The, we just haven't played it yet. We are figuring that out now for hopefully before the end of the calendar year, we will find a way to get those 20 people in a room, get this thing done with and get it over. The, 2020 season has now become the 2020 slash 2021 slash 2022 season. And our rule is if the event has already happened, it counts. So that would be the open at Indisc and Pin Masters are the only two that count because Texas just missed. That's when the world ended, right. Think, right? TPF got canceled. Right. So those two are done. The other 18 events, or what's left of them, let me pour, pour some out for Pinberg. So, <laughs> yeah. they, uh, so the other 17 events that now remain will be held in 2022. And that includes even for events that can be held in 2021. So like Expo, for example, like Expo will be held in October of this year. That will not count for the circuit. Expo's okay. 22 event will count towards the circuit. Okay, but the open and and masters count. And so okay. when 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 those get run next year in twenty twenty two, neither of those will count for the circuit because the twenty twenty events already did. Okay, so that's so actually, no double no double dipping there. I know much. No double Carl, dipping. Carl wasn't pleased with that decision, but uh, too bad. Yeah, well, I I will tell you right now. I'll just kiss your ass and say I think it's a great decision because I did halfway decent. There you go. <laughs> Me two. too, man. Why do you think we made the decision we made? I played all right. <laughs> there Give me you those go. points, man. Okay, so now for all the listeners out there, now you guys know if you played in the Open back in 2020, January 2020, or Pin Masters of March 2020, yeah. those points do carry over and do count for this upcoming season's Stern yes. Pro Circuit, which is. Yes. Starting in 2022. Correct. Okay. It's a mouthful, but hey, we got it all out. So you that's... You know what? It's, 
it's going to work. And five years from now, it will be something that we dealt with five years ago. And yep. It will be done. Exactly. You just got to get through it now it, and man. get these tournaments going and okay. it'll be fine. It'll be fine. Well, Josh, I appreciate your time, man. I'm glad to finally get you on here after about a year of going back and forth and trying to uh, yeah, man. find a good time. But I say a good time. It's totally my fault. You were you were great. You definitely yeah. you were very accessible. Much much better than Tom Graff, who's not accessible at all. <laughs> oh, so man. thank you. I appreciate Poor Tom. it. Poor Tom. And we'll have to have you come on our uh, triple right. drain podcast. You'll have to ask him about the tournament point. ruling that caused him to quit being a state rep. That's oh, he's good, t- he's told one. me that story. I don't know if you guys it, have talked about that on air, but that'd be a fun one. We haven't talked about it on air. Yeah. We might wait until you come on, oh, and then we'll talk about it. <laughs> Tom will be sick that day or doing someone's filling at work. Sorry, guys, can't make it. <laughs> You're doing a filling at like 10 at night? Like, yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. Yep, that's Tom Graff for you. Well, I appreciate it. Do you have anything you want to plug? I, I don't know if you have anything to plug. I mean, IFPA? No. All thrills? No. No, you're good. We're good, good. man. We're good. Yeah. You have anything to say to uh, Teolis before we go off air? No, no, <laughs> he's not worth words. Although I'm I, sure he's gonna be like, he, he probably he he called me earlier this week and I was like, oh yeah, he wants to have me on before August first, and I'm like, I and he usually tells me if I have anything planned, and he, we didn't even get to that, but I was I was gonna be like. Yeah, 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 we can do a show before August 1st. Yeah, I'm going with, on with Travis later this week, and then I'm sure he'd, like, mute. Love it. <laughs> well, hey, we, get in the scoop. Get in exactly, the scoop. get in the scoop. Hey, we got done what we needed to get done. All the information's out there, and everybody can. You did Jeff's job. You saved me a Jeff conversation, man. I'm just going to divert him to, like, oh, just go, uh, go listen to the pod, man. It's all there. Hey, that's what just I'm here for. record your pinball profile as our conversation that we're just having now and just air that on his channel <laughs> cross marketing you can get all of his listeners for you i'm sure he'll love that him yeah. and his mullet so yeah <laughs> all right take care josh i cool, appreciate man. it brother have a good one